Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, uh, we're really glad you're here. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Glad you are with us, whether you're online or in person. Really glad that you are here. And we are week two of a three-week series where we're just kind of spending a little bit of time just for some of us reminding, for some of us who are new for the first time, just kind of bringing a little bit of clarity to kind of who it is that God has called us to be as a church. And so last time, uh, last week, we spent some time talking about that You Belong mural that we have there on the, um, on the outside of the building and how important it is for us to create a space here where no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or can be challenging for some, no matter what you're currently doing, this can be a, a safe place for you to come and, and feel like you can belong. And like we talked about last week with the story of Zacchaeus, and then we can just... We can, we can create that kind of space where we just love people without preconditions and show them Jesus, and Jesus will change people's lives. And so we want to create that sort of environment, but we don't want to just be who we are here in this building. We want, to, we want to take it out into the community. We'll talk about that today, and then Mark will finish it up next week talking about um, the, God's mission for us in our world. And um, I don't know how many of you grew up in church or, you know, or ever at any point in your life kind of ask the question, kind of like, 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 what is the purpose of this? I don't necessarily mean in a hostile way, like, like but, you know, as a, as a teenager in church, it's like, what, like, what, are, what are we doing? What, like, what are we doing here? And like, if you'd ask Teenager Charlie, like, what are you doing? And I, and I ask this question a lot. I mean, we're, the answer I think I would have given would have been like, well, this is what we do. I mean, we were there all the time. I mean, you know, six, seven, eight hours on a Sunday, four or five hours on a Wednesday, a couple times during the week. I was a teenager. I had a key. I had a key to the church. That's just, I mean, it's just, that's kind of who we are. It's, like, it's just what we did. But what was the point? Like, what was the purpose? What were we trying to do? Why? And the answer to that kind of why question, why this? And, a, and an inability to really kind of answer that question well. I would say has turned a lot of people my age and a significantly even larger number of people younger than me to kind of just exit. Because I can't come up with a good reason to, why, why are we doing this? If, if, if the only purpose here is to kind of like, oh, we just kind of, you come here, you got to learn to be a better person. It's like, man, I can do that on my own without all the yelling, without all the weird. I can do that. I don't need that. So I'm just going to leave. Or somebody's like, man, am I just trying to earn God points? And we joke about that. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard me joke about this. Like you get points for showing up, bonus points on snow days or rainy days or whatever, right? I mean, holidays, you know? I mean, if it's just about points, like what are, what are we even doing? Because like after a while, it's like, it doesn't even feel like this is real. Like what am I even, where do I even cash in these points? Like what, what is the point? Like it doesn't seem like it's really making a huge difference and so people exit. And I'm not, I, and I'm... <sighs> I feel like we don't do a good job of really kind of helping one another understand kind of the big picture idea of like what it is that God has called us to. Why we must do this. Why we must gather together. Why the church exists. Why this particular church exists. And there needs to be, we need, we need to be on the same page and we need to understand and we need to unite behind this and be who God has called us to be. Especially right now, and, and I, fee, I feel this. 
And as we were preparing this series and even talking about the next series, Mark and I were talking about this, and there's this phrase that I've used, and, and it's COVID sludge. And what I mean by that is just this sense of just like, these last two years have been really difficult. And there's like there's sludge in our system. And I don't mean that as a particular critique of any of you or of the, the systems and precautions that were taken um, in the early, especially in the early months. I don't mean that. I just mean if something's happened to us, we're just a little slower than we used to be, a little less motivated, a little less engaged with, with God, with one another, with what God has called us to. And again, there's reasons for that. But I, I feel like the, the time is kind of, we, got, we need to move past. And it's time for us to kind of unite. And I remember this moment for me. And some of you have heard elements of this story before of me being a freshman in college and really kind of asking that question. Like, what is even the point? I mean, because it, you really start to ask that question. If you can't come up with a good reason to go to church while you're at home, and then all of a sudden you go to college and your parents aren't there, you, I mean, like, I don't even know what we're doing. I don't even know what we're doing. And I began to just kind of drift. I was, I was starting to exit, but the, by kind of this, the anchor, the weight of the guilt was too strong and I couldn't quite give it up. And I'd made this decision. It was November of the fall of my freshman year. I'm done, I'm out, but I'll give it one more chance. And I went to this church I'd never been to before, it turned out. It was a brand new church plant and kind of in one of those clear, just God kind of being there and going in advance. I happened to sit next to this, this woman who happened to just, was really kind to me but then also introduced me to this guy who was going to lead a Bible study for freshmen in my, in my dorm. And so I, I met him after the service, and he asked me this question, right? Are you interested in being in a Bible study? Now, again, I don't know if you grew up going to church. I don't know what your deal is. But, brother, there's only one answer to that question. Well, I'm not in some, some sort of heathen. Of course, of course I'm interested in your, in your Bible study. Yes, of course. So he takes my name and number. This is in November. And I don't think much, I don't think much of it. Now, it's January of the next year. And let me just, what makes this story terrible is it was Super Bowl Sunday. And not just Super Bowl Sunday. It was like during the Super Bowl. And I get this call on, on my phone. I got some friends in my room. And maybe the reason why he did this is, one, he had no idea it was Super Bowl Sunday. Or two, he's like, I bet this guy, I bet he's, I bet he's home. I bet he's home. He's watching Super Bowl. So he called, I'm like, hello, and he's like, hey, so-and-so from church. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm downstairs in the lobby. Would you like to come meet me? And again, I don't, maybe you have a lot better boundaries than I do, right? A little more, like, like confidence. I was like, mm, okay. I look at my girlfriend, I'm like, I'll be back. Where are you going? I was like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you want to talk about a meeting that is destined to fail, right? It's this one. But I go down there and I hear what he has to say and, and something really amazing happened where he just kind of shared with me this kind of compelling idea that really beyond just you go to church because God wants you to and you're trying to be a moral person. Like that's what I said to Christian. What's the Christian life about 19-year-old Charlie? Church attendance, relative morality. And it wasn't enough to keep me. And he begins to share this idea with me. About, about the Great Commission and about this idea that what really the big picture driving force of the life of a Christian is to take what God has given you and to give it away and to, and to, take, and to take the blessings of God and, and bless others, others with them. And, and I'm not going to say 100% clicked for me in that moment, but it was really close. And it's one of these kind of five or six really kind of landmark days 
where I can say that the overall trajectory of my life radically changed. Something clicked at me. That there was something deeper and better and more significant from my life that God wanted than just church attendance and to, quote, be a better person. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had moments in your life where there was just kind of this, this, this click, this kind of, like, you know, like when you, when you swallow coming out of the airplane, your ears pop. Just kind of, kind of moment of just kind of like, oh, oh, where, where God has kind of laid on your heart that there is, there's something different. There's something more that he has for you, for us. And some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about. And you really can't still, you wouldn't, you're, you're, not, you're not 19, you're not a teenager, but you still couldn't really answer the question, why, why, do, why do we do this? And I'm telling you, there is something really important and very significant that God has called us to. And again, we're just spending these three weeks just kind of getting back to it, recommitting, again, or if you're new, committing kind of for the first time to this idea of creating this kind of environment where anyone can come and hear about Jesus and feel loved and experience the transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end here. Our mission isn't just here. It is who God has called us to be out there. And there's a passage that is incredibly important to me, and I want it to be really important for all of us. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus got a couple of illustrations here. He says, hey, first of all, you're the salt of the earth. And we've kind of taken this expression to mean something else. I kind of mean like regular folk, just good old folk, you know, you know, just the, the, the farmers, the plumbers, kind of your, your, your blue collar, just kind of regular folk. If you're regular folk, you're just kind of salty or kind of person right there, right, salt of the earth, right? Which is great, which is great, but that, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. What he's talking about is a particular role that really all of us have to play, whether or not you would consider yourself in the colloquial way, the salt of the earth people or not. But really, it's just like it, salt primarily for them was, was a preservative, no, no refrigeration, so to keep meat from spoiling, you could put salt on it. It would preserve it for a little while. So the image there is actually pretty clear. In a place that is decaying, in a place of decay, can you be, some, can you be preservative that kind of helps life and nourishment still exist in a place? And, and so it's not, it's not working. It's not working. And then he also says, you're the light of the world, which is a really interesting thing because he has already claimed... Personally, he's the light of the world. And I said, but you, you are the light of the world. And then to illustrate what he means by this, it's like, listen, imagine a city that is on a hill and it's not, you can't hide it. It's on the hill and once all the candles and all the things, once it, once it lights up, I mean, there it is, there it is. You can't hide it. And in the same way, like if you've got this light, and it's like, hey, it's kind of dark in here. I'm gonna make this light. You don't light it and then be like, well, I need to put a bowl over it. Like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. You can't hide 
light. No one hides light. You don't hide light. And so then he says, in the same way, you are light. Now you take your light and you take it out there and you let it shine in such a way that everyone can see the good things that you're doing. And then they'll glorify God. And so I think there is a compelling life vision here. No matter who you are, no matter what you consider your talents to be, whether you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert, I'm good with people, I'm not good with people, I like to be on a stage, I don't like to be on a stage, I've got a lot of talents, I don't have many talents, like whatever, however it is you perceive of yourself, there is a compelling vision for a life here. That God has called you to be out there and living your life in such a way where you are bringing light to a dark world. And so this is our, this is our big idea. This is what God has called us. God has called us to be light in the world. This is what he's called us to. Collectively as a church and each one of us individually, this is what he has called us to. You are called to be light. And this, the, 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 the more history progresses, the easier it is for me to sell people on this concept. There was a time, if you can imagine it, where pastors would try to mention this and people would want to argue back. I would say, you say, hey, you know, the world is a dark place. And people would be like, how dare you? Now I say, hey, the world's a dark place. You go, it's dark. Mm-hmm, yeah, it is. It's broken. Yeah, it is. Like, we, we understand that more now, no matter your background. The world's broken. A lot of dark places. And God has called you to go be light there. Now, there's kind of two ways you can kind of think about this. If you think like we are supposed to go into a dark place and bring light. There's kind of two ways to think about it. I'll talk about both of them and then very specifically about what I think Jesus means. One is, well, let's just say, it just depends on why you're in the dark and what you're doing, right? There's, you put your kids to bed, put your kids to bed. And all of a sudden you hear something, some loud noise that they think that they're just being real clever, right? And you go in there and turn on like, what are you doing in here? And the guy, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. and the way, you know, with iPads go flying or whatever, and toys, books, whatever. I mean, just everything's like, ah! I'm like, man, we ain't, I'm not dumb. So, so there's that sense, like, I'm turning on light to expose something, right? But there's another sense of it, too. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in the dark. And because I'm in the dark, I'm lost. I'm scared. I feel hopeless. And someone comes in a flashlight, turns on, I was like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? You want to come with me? I can get you out of here. Right? There's two real senses of what bringing light to darkness means. And I would like to suggest in the the way that, that Jesus is describing what light is supposed to do here, that he's really talking about the second one. He's really talking about that there needs to be hope. Stop hiding the good and bring your good to a place that needs good, right? I think he's clearly talking about the second. It's not that the first one has no place, but here's, for just shorthand, um, it's not as always as simple as this. It's more complicated than this. But for simplicity's sake, I would like to say that that first type, flip on the light, hey, what's going on in here? That's, that's, that's how God wants us to be with each other very often. Hey, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing over there? Like if I get into a dark place and I, and I start to act in a way that I shouldn't, I want somebody to be, hey, bro, no. And that's what we want to be for each other. But when we think about bringing the light out there, 
we're, we're bringing a hopeful light, a light that says, hey, I know it's dark. I know it's broken. I know you're scared. Hey, if you'll just follow me, I can show you where, where, where real hope and real life can be. Just, just, just come with me. And he says, if you will do this, if you will stop taking the light that God has given you, you stop putting a bowl on. This is the most ridiculous metaphor. Like, you've got this light, and this is what Jesus says. You are now. This is who you are because of what he has done. You are light. You know, put a bowl over that. You take it out there, and you take it out there in such a way where you know people will see it. You want to show who you are. Show your good works. Do your good works in such a way people will see them. And then they'll glorify God. Now, if I were to come in here today with no Bible, I got no Bible verse. I got no Bible verse. And I would just come in here just straight up and be like, hey, let me tell you what we're talking about today. I want you to go out there in the world. I want you to be good. I want you to do it away. Make sure everybody notices how good you are. You'd be like, "Mm, bro, that's weird and uncomfortable. And 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 I'm not going to do that. And me giving you a Bible verse doesn't necessarily make it even make it less uncomfortable. It's weird. Like, I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't, something about that doesn't feel right. It feels prideful. It feels wrong. And it's interesting that you would say that because in Matthew 6, verse 1, which is like, this is in the passage we're looking at, it's in the middle of chapter 5. This is the start of chapter 6. If this is one sermon that he gave, which a lot of people believe that it is, or it could just be a compilation. If he said this at one time, he said the thing that we just said right now, and this thing he's about to say, he says it like, Two minutes later, he says, be careful, to, it was a, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people so that they'll notice you. I'm like, bro, I'm like, can you imagine like you're sitting there and he's like, let your light shine so people will see. He's like, okay, okay. Now, whatever you do, though, don't practice your righteousness in a way that people will see it. Like, mm, I'm going to need some help here. It's a, little, it's a little confusing. But if we kind of put these two ideas together, and if Jesus did, it was Jesus doing this, kind of putting two seemingly kind of contradictory ideas together in such proximity, I think is meant to make us go, like, so, what, so what's he getting at? Because when he talks about the second one, about not doing, about the not, not to not do it, I, well, first we'll sum it up this way, right? We'll sum it up this way. God's called us to be a light in the world, but really he's, he's called us to reflect his light. It's his light. We're supposed to reflect his light. He's the light, and we reflect that light, right? So we're, we're, we're the moon, right? We're the moon. We don't shine our own light. We, we reflect the light from the sun. And do not think that I'm doing one of those word plays on the church signs. Oh, I'm reflecting the light of the S-O-E. I'm like, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not my fault that those two words are homonyms, okay? It's not my fault. I'm not trying to be clever. Nonetheless... We're reflecting light, right? Science lesson, right? I, I'm not generating my own light source. I'm, I'm reflecting light. And so I'm not doing it so that I'll be noticed. I'm doing it so that, so that God will be noticed. And there's an attitude, I think, that comes with that. But also, if you think about the things that Jesus says that are the kind of things that, hey, beware about practicing this. He talks about prayer as one. Like, hey, don't be one of these people who's like, oh, God, glorious God of the universe who loves me more than he loves you. Right? And don't, he says, don't pray like that. Prayer Pharisees pray like that, and they're not getting, any, they're not getting anything with God. They, they, they got their reward because they was for other people. He also says, don't give like that, right? He don't, don't, don't come 
And they don't come when you could write a check. Obviously, I don't understand. It's, they have checks. They don't come when you could write a check, but instead you come in with coins. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Just hi, don't, don't, don't even let the right, he says, don't even let your right hand know how much money you got in your left. Just, just, just do it. So these things that are meant to be kind of personal, spiritual connections with God, keep those things kind of private. But what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 5 is not the difference between doing it for show and doing it for God. What he's talking about is doing it versus not doing it. He's like, some of you, again, you are lighting a candle. You are like a lit candle under a bowl, which makes no sense. And in the same way, you just kind of hanging out here amongst each other. Like, don't let your church be the bowl. Right? So you kind of got this little bowl, and you kind of walk in here, and you can take it off when you come in here. And it's like, because we've got a bigger bowl here that's kind of overseeing all of us. But when I go out there, i got to hide it. It doesn't make any sense. This is who God has called you to be. He has called you to be someone who is going to bring and take hope and life to a world that is desperate for it. People hiding in corners of rooms and in lost forests and no idea because of the darkness and the brokenness around them. They have no idea where they are. They have no hope for tomorrow. And God says, you have to go to them and bring light, bring preservation and salt, life to them. This is who you are. You are the light of the world. Not you need to be the light of the world. You should be the light of the world. You need to act like you are the light of the world because of what Jesus Christ has done in you. You must be this. And it is of incredible importance that we all understand this, that this is who God has called us to be. We, we do, we, cre- we create a great environment and it is important for us to connect with one another, to worship God together and to create experiences where other people can feel like they belong but we want to worship, we want to connect, we want to hear from God, we want to do this but really this is like, it's like, it's like I don't want to say that, it was going to be too cheesy. We're, just, we're, here, we're encouraging each other to be stronger, to be better lights. And then we walk out that door and then we are who God has called us to be in, that wor- in, in the world. And I've said this and it is absolute incredible importance. We need to be the kind of church that if we stopped being, the community would notice and be sad. Man, what happened to them? What, ha- what, ha- what happened to them? They were doing a lot of good. I miss them. People who aren't even church people. People who aren't even Christians. We want them to know. It needs to matter to this community that we are here because this is who God has called us to be. We can create this great space where people can belong, but how are they going to find us? How are they going to know that this is where light can be? We can talk all day about you belong. You can put it right out there on the front of your building, but ain't nobody driving past it unless you are lost or 
the touchdown club is meeting here on Wednesday and you need to overflow parking. That is the only way you're ever going to see that sign unless something about the light has brought you here, which is why we will finish with this idea. Our church must be the city on a hill. We must be a city on a hill. We must be. This is what God has called us to. We are not a place with great worship. We're not a place with a preacher who wears jeans and is sometimes humorous. We're not a place that uses only Onyx coffee for how dare we ever use mediocre coffee, right? I mean, those things are true. That's not who we are. Who we are is a city on a hill. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And God has placed us on a hill in a community that is broken, in a world that is broken. And we need to go out there and they need to know that when we're coming, life and light is coming. I don't know if you notice this as much as I do because of my profession and because of who I am, but you know, you're just minding your own business. Something pops up on Twitter headline on some kind of news aggregate website church denomination dot 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 pastor in arizona pastor in washington pastor in new york dot 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 it's if you're if you click you're never going to be happy that you clicked on that it's never like and you click on it it's like brought hope and life and joy to the whole community (laughs) and it's such a blessing that they're here it's always bad news it's always terrible and you can if you'd like, I guess. You know, well, it's just because they only report the bad stuff. Well, it's their bad stuff to report. Let's be honest. We've got a reputation problem. We can talk about it's unfair. You can say it's unfair if you'd like. Or we can wag fingers at the churches and pastors that have done the things. We can try to distance ourselves from, we're not like that. Okay? But it's us. It's us. We can only say that it's us. This is what Christians have done. What are you doing to, you can say, right? You can say, hey, that's a false narrative. Great. What are you doing to break it? What life and light and hope, like, can you imagine a conversation? It's like, man, is there anything? Christians are in the news, all Christians, da, 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 da. And then someone's like, well, they're not all like that because, bop, 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 bop. And they're telling your story. They're telling our story about what God has done, about the way that we brought life and light to our community. Like I said, these last couple of years have been kind of, just, they're, just, they're sludgy. And, 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 and for us as a church, it's, we, we, got, we got to get back to this. There have been seasons in our church where it was absolutely known that church cares That church loves its community and loves the most hopeless and broken people in the community. That's who we are, and we got to get back to it. And I'm not saying that it's gone away entirely because it hasn't, because we've had some great opportunities over these last couple of years as the world has been desperate. We have one of the most significant food pantries in the entire town. It's large. It was, by the way, it was the idea of an 11-year-old. He's not 11 right now. It breaks my heart that he's driving now. Like, how old am I? I knew him when he was just a baby baby, right? It was his idea. It was a kid's idea. Let's do this. He put it out there. It's big. 
And you know what else it is? It's private. And you think, well, it's not by the road. Who's going to find it, bro? They all find it. Everyone finds it. And they can find it and use it discreetly without people driving past them at 15 to 45 miles an hour. It's like, oh, who's that? Very privately, discreetly. People come out here. You can tell that they're, they're, they're eating the meal right there, having a meal right here. We've got a little trash can out there for them. We're doing everything that we can. And I'm telling you, we cannot keep that thing full of food. We just can't. No matter how much food we put out there, it'll be gone before you know it. And part of me wants to challenge you. Like, I dare you to prove me wrong. I dare you to prove me wrong, but you, we can't actually keep food in there. Just try. Bring some on Sunday, put it in there. You're driving past, you go to the grocery store, I'm stop by the church and put some in there. Just see. Let's just see if we could do it. Right now, it's not possible. No matter how much money we spend, no matter how much food comes, there are other food ministries that come to put food in our because they know that it is incredibly popular and is very needed. And our community care team has done so much with people. Rent problems, utility problems. Probably we have seen more activity and been able to invest more in the hurting in our community over the last two years than in the previous four or five years, six years combined. We've had some great opportunities and it is time for us to go to another level. And by one of those just kind of God coincidences, had a lot of meetings with a lot of executive directors for a lot of different ministries and nonprofits. I was at Jimmy John's having lunch with a friend. The executive director for Habitat happens to be there. And there's a guy that I knew that I was on staff with at a large church in Little Rock before he moved here. He's like, hey, I didn't know you were here. I don't know you. What are you doing? Like, and then all of a sudden it's like, dude, I, I, I need... I need some more churches involved in what we're doing. He's like, I want our church to be involved in more things like what you're doing. So we're going to have an opportunity this fall to kind of help with the build that they're doing. And then we're going to help organize a build for a new house in the spring where we're going to get several churches together to do this. This is a great opportunity for you right there. I also had a great opportunity this week to talk to somebody who works for a ministry called Returning Home. She's brand pretty new to our church. And it is a nonprofit that is helping people who are in prison kind of get back into life. A group of people that pretty much we've given up on. We decided they had their chance. And because we don't love them well, they stay in a really dark cycle. But here's an incredible opportunity, a great nonprofit that's doing something to really help them. And they would love for churches to be involved. There's any number of ways that you can volunteer. And if you're really just kind of out there, they're actually looking to hire somebody to kind of be a case manager for them, to kind of interact in a, in a more personal way and keep tabs on how some of these guys are doing. There's an opportunity, there's, there's plenty of opportunities there. And they would love for us to help them. I met on Friday with the executive director for the call in Northwest Arkansas. Again, someone that I have known for 12 years and people in our church have been on the board for this in Northwest Arkansas. And as a ministry, getting people involved in foster care in Northwest Arkansas, getting Christians involved. And some of you don't need me to tell you about this because many of you have already done this. We actually were the first of 10 families to adopt a child who from out of foster care. And we've had dozens of families over the years be foster parents for seasons. And we've had the ability to love and impact hundreds of kids who are experiencing the worst that this world has to offer through no fault of their own. And we can bring light and life to them. And you can become a foster parent 
or there is a hundred different ways to support what they're doing, buying diapers, loving the families that are, do, that are doing it. There's any number of things that you can do. And I'll give you one more. I could do a hundred more. There's a group called Circles Northwest Arkansas. Again, someone from our church is on the board there. And it's a group that is, taught, that is helping people who are currently experiencing poverty and want to get out of it. There's this 18-month program that they go through where they are learning the basic skills that they need that for whatever reason they just weren't given to kind of help them manage life, to get and keep a job, all these skills. And for 18 months, they're kind of doing this. And they've got these people around them that are called allies to kind of support them, kind of encourage them and help them learn these skills. And they're asking for people to be those allies. If that, so you should do it. That seems like too much. Just join a small group and you can join like the rest of us who once a month are providing meals for these people. And this incredible nonprofit that is doing incredible things in our community. There are small ways and big ways of all kinds of ministry. You name the type of person and the type of need that is important to you. And you tell me what your skill set is. And I promise I know somebody and I know a, a ministry or a nonprofit that I can get you connected with that is looking for someone exactly like you. Do not sell yourself short based on your perception of your time availability or your skill set. Because God has a bigger idea for your life. Not to make you become somebody else that can finally be you, you specifically. God has called you to bring light to this world. And if we all make a decision to do that, and collectively we do this, imagine the light that we could bring. I'm telling you, these groups, these nonprofits, these ministries, they need you. We as a church, we need you. We need you here. We need you connected. We need you hearing from God, being encouraged and strengthened and challenged so that you can grow in your light. We need you in community so that you can stay connected and and be strong so you can be a better light. We need you to give here at the church. I cannot tell you how many times these incredible ministries and nonprofits say are asking us for, for money. And I try to say yes every time, but there's a limit it's just how much money we have. But what if we were just pooling our resources even better? And here's the thing that I'm convinced of. For 12 years, we have run one of the leanest church budgets, not just simply that I've been a part of, but I've ever even heard of. And here's what I'm convinced of. The reason why we're doing this is because one day it's gonna click. What if we really pooled our financial resources to make a huge impact in our community and world? And suddenly our income here doubles and we're like, why would we stop? Why would we stop running a lean budget? We should keep doing that. And now instead of giving 80 to $100,000 away every year, we're giving $500,000 away. And this, I tell you what, you do that, the community will know and they will glorify God who is in heaven. If we will join together and take the light that God has given each and one of us and put it together, we can bring hope and life and the gospel to a really dark world. Let me pray. God, I pray that it will click in some way. That there's more, there's more than just living There's more than just living and going to church. 
God, I pray that we would get connected. God, I pray that we would find a place to serve. God, I pray that we would become generous with our time and with our resources. We'd start giving here. We'd start giving to these nonprofits. Start giving to these ministries that we would be, we'd be serious about this, this, this vision that you've called us to. And the God that we would not allow for one moment to believe that we're not significant enough. Our gifts aren't important enough. God, you didn't say that some of us were the light of the world. You said we all were. And God, I pray that we would reflect your light to a world that is desperate for it. So that more and more people can find the real hope and light that is in your son, Jesus Christ. That's in his name that we pray. Amen.